0: Thank you, Melody, for singing for us this morning. Well, I've got good news. Lunch isn't until 12.15, so by my calculation, I have an hour and three minutes. Is that right, Pastor Doherty? Is that how that works? No? (laughs) Okay. I forgot how much I appreciated Pastor Doherty's subtle humor some of you may not get it. I don't know if you notice when he's being funny. Actually, he's a pretty funny guy. When you see him washing his car with a suit and tie on, you might think, there's a pretty serious guy. But <laughs> uh, it's, it's there. You just have to look for it a little bit. I appreciate that. Um, I know that you guys have had a busy weekend already, and you've got a full day coming up. And I know that uh, sometimes your attention span tends to start to shrink and wane a little bit. So I'm just going to ask you something that I ask our folks at church sometimes when I'm speaking, and that is, is if occasionally you can just give me a little something, just some sign of life that you're still with me, okay? So whether it's, you know, a nod or a shrug or a furrowed brow, if you don't understand what I'm talking about, just something. Or if I ask a question... Please feel free to respond and answer the question, okay? That's encouraging to me because sometimes I see glazed eyes and, you know, solemnly, piously bowed heads, and that really makes me nervous when I see that. <laughs> so you could help me to relax if you could just, you know, indicate that you're, you're still here. That'd be really good. Um, I want to start by telling you a story this morning, and the story is of two men now, the first man, and pay attention to the story because, see, I'm giving you this heads up because sometimes my cynicism peeks through and I think you're not going to remember to respond or you are going to nod off. So I'm going to tell you right now, I'm going to tell you the story, then I'm going to ask you a question, okay? So you need to pay attention to the story. Two men, the first man, worked very, very hard and established for himself a very good business, a very financially sound, profitable business. Uh, He was married to a lovely woman. They had two beautiful daughters. They had a handsome son. They lived in a very nice house with a small in-ground pool in the backyard. Uh, She always drove a fairly new car. He always had a new truck for work. Uh, The second man also worked very, very hard, but always for other people. Never quite was able to establish himself to the point where he could start his own business, or do his own thing. He was always an employee, always worked for someone else. He, too, had a wonderful wife. They only had one son, and their son was very hateful and spiteful to them, and they struggled with their relationship with them for their whole lives. They lived in an old house that looked like it was about ready to fall down, and they always drove a beat-up old car that looked like it wouldn't go another two miles. They never really had anything besides just the bare necessities that were required to live their lives. Now, are you ready? Here's my question. Which man was God blessing? Remember, I said when I asked the question, you could answer it. So who has the courage to step up this morning and tell us Which man was God blessing? Was He blessing the first man? How many people think He... I'll just do it this way. How many people think He was blessing the first guy? Wow, nobody. Okay. How many people think He was blessing the second guy? A few. Okay. What does everybody else think? That's only about five people. (laughs) Both. Okay. How many people think God was blessing... Both men. Okay, now a few of you still haven't answered your hand, or raised your hands. Anybody else have any other thoughts? Yeah, we'll ah, th- <laughs> You know, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. McMahon, if someone had come to me this morning before this service and said, out of this entire illustrious crowd... One person would come up with the right answer, I never would have guessed it would have been you. (laughs) But thank you, thank you, excellent. Yes, excellent. You are truly a great student, and you are paying attention, which is good. We don't know, do we? Not enough information. God could have been blessing the first man. He could have been blessing the second man. He could have been blessing both of them. He could have been blessing neither of them. We really don't know enough, do we, about the two guys in our story. Unfortunately, we tend many times to equate God's blessing with provision and comfort. We have Christian leaders that are writing books now, prominent Christian leaders that are writing books with titles like, See Yourself Successful and Live Your Best Life Now. And when good things are happening, our tendency is to think God is blessing, God is taking care of us, God is providing. Actually, we, my dad and I had a chance to have a conversation with someone was a ministry not too long ago who had this conversation with the leaders of his church things were going well things are happening like it seems like they should be there's bills being paid and money in the accounts and lots of people at church on sunday morning and his leader said that we're doing it god's blessing is he the problem with believing that when we are being provided for and things are going smoothly that God is blessing, problem with that is what do we do when things are not going well? Does that mean God is not blessing? Does that mean God doesn't love us anymore? Does that mean God has forgotten about us? Sometimes when I'm talking to our folks, I've used the example before that Sometimes we have a tendency to treat God like a vending machine, a spiritual vending machine. We put in our money, we put in our things, our worship and our time and all the things that we think that God wants, and then we hit the button, right? This is what I want, God. Here's my stuff, now you give me what I want. You give me a comfortable life. You give me a a functioning vehicle, you give me a loving wife or a caring husband, you give me a family, you give me a home, or even to spiritualize or be more spiritual, you give me a fruitful ministry. This kind of bothers me because I have a really hard time finding any scripture at all that promises us physical comfort or freedom from difficulty in this life. I can't find it. In fact, I believe that Scripture says that our calling as Christ followers is to a life of faith, not a life of ease. And I want to read you just three or four verses in the book of Hebrews this morning, so if you've got your Bible, you'll want to turn there and follow along. I'm going to be reading from Hebrews chapter 11. I'm going to start with verse 1, but then I'm going to skip down toward the end of the chapter. And some of you, or maybe all of you, are familiar on some level with the book of Hebrews, and if you know anything about Hebrews, you probably know that one of the most well-known passages in Hebrews is chapter 11. It's commonly called the faith chapter, and if we read chapter 11, we were to read all 39 or 40 verses we would read all kinds of stories of faith. All kinds of stories of victorious Christian living. Lives lived in subjection to God and all the wonderful things that happened as a result of that. In chapter 1 of Hebrews 11 says this, Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about the things we cannot see. Confidence and assurance about what we can't see. Now just think for a second about your life, particularly those of you who are students here, you are all relatively young. Think about your life, there's a lot of things that you can't see, isn't there? This is one of those times when you should nod your head or do something so that I know that you're all still with me, okay? There's a lot of things you can't see, right? Including you can't even see if you're going to be able to get along with the roommate that you just found out yesterday that you're going to have. That might be a little sketchy. You don't know what class is going to be like. You don't know if you're going to be able to do these things that you're going to be asked to do. You don't know how it's going to work. Even if you do, you come and stay for three years or four years and you study and learn like I hope that you do, then what's going to happen? What's going to happen next? Where am I going to go? Where am I going to be? What's God going to ask me to do? There's so much that we can't see, and faith is confidence and assurance about what we can't see. Flip over to verse 32. We're doing a little fast forward here over a lot of stories compressed into a very short passage. Let's pick it up in 32. How much more do I need to say? Like I say, we've just skipped over about 20 stories of all these amazing lives of faith and all of this victory. In verse 32, the writer says, How much more do I need to say? It would take too long to recount the stories of faith of Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and all the prophets. By faith, these people overthrew kingdoms, ruled with justice, and received what God had promised them. They shut the mouths of lions, quenched the flames of fire, and escaped death by the edge of the sword. Their weakness was turned to strength. They became strong in battle and put whole armies to flight. Women received their loved ones back from again from death. Look at the faith there and think about those stories. Gideon, do you know the story of Gideon? Cue the head nod or the head shake, whichever, just something. You know the story of Gideon? Hiding down in the little well, trying not to get killed. God comes and says, I want you, Gideon, mighty Gideon, you great man of courage, get up out of that little corner and lead the Israelite army and defeat these Midianites. So Gideon rounds up an army, doesn't he? And God says, Gideon, there's only one problem with your army. What's that, Lord? It's too big. So they get rid of a bunch of them. Gideon, we're almost ready to go, one problem, still got too many guys. They all leave except 300 and God uses Gideon and 300 guys to defeat 100,000 Midianites. And Daniel, who hasn't heard the story of Daniel? How many of you remember in Sunday school class or with your mom and dad with a little kid's devotional Bible reading the story of Daniel? Okay, everybody knows about Daniel. Daniel. They threw him in a pit with ravenous lions because he refused to turn away from God. And God closed the mouths of the lions and wonderfully and miraculously saved him. And Samson, killing thousands of Philistines with the jawbone of a donkey and taking out more of God's enemies in his death than he ever did in his life. I mean, those are the stories that we know. Those are the ones that we read to our children, those of us that have them, and those are the ones that we study in Sunday school and we we think about and we know and love. Look at the second half of verse 35. But others were tortured refusing to turn from God in order to be set free, they place their hope in a better life after the resurrection. I always tell people when I'm talking to them, I'll tell you this the same thing, that if you don't mark in your Bibles, you probably should. And whenever you come to a word like but in the middle of a passage like this, you should circle it, highlight it, because something is about to change here. But others were, tortured this is hebrews chapter 11 this is the faith chapter this is where all the good stories are recounted but these guys were tortured some of them because they refused to turn away from god i want you to notice what it says here why they were able to do that it says their hope what was their hope Their hope was in a better life. But listen to when the better life was going to show up. Did anybody else notice it when we read the verse? What does it say there? When is the better life that they were hoping for? When is it? After the resurrection. The key word in that phrase is the word after. Their hope was in a better life. But it was after the resurrection. How many times do we present the gospel? I hope it's not very often, but how many times have I heard people present the gospel or talk about a relationship with God as being the fuel for a better life? Well, it is a fuel for a better life spiritually. It's not always necessarily a better life physically or financially. But there is a better life It's after the resurrection. That's what is promised. So I have a question for you right now. I want you to be thinking about over the next few minutes. And that is this. What are you hoping for? I want you to think about that. What are you hoping for? So many of you here, and I I told this to Melody last night. And uh, mom and dad when we were talking. When I was watching you freshmen come up and say where you, your name and where you're from, where you went to church and all those things, I was thinking, why are there 12 and 13-year-olds coming to MBBI as freshmen? <laughs> I mean, seriously, I am getting old or something because some of you guys look so young. And you have your whole life ahead of you and I am so glad That you're here and you're willing to study God's Word and you have a desire, hopefully like we talked about last night, to love God with all of your heart and soul and mind and strength, but what is it with all of your life ahead of you, what is it that you're hoping for? Because faith, as we read before, is the confidence that what we hope for will happen, So I ask you what you're hoping for, because what you are hoping for says a lot about your faith. It says a lot about the kind of faith that you have. Are you hoping for a comfortable life? Are you hoping that by turning your heart and mind and soul and body over to God, that He will take care of you and that He will provide for you and you will have all the things that you feel like you deserve in life? What are you hoping for? What you're hoping for says a lot about what kind of faith you have. Look at verse 36. Verse 36 says, Some were jeered at, and their backs were cut open with whips. Others were chained in prisons. Some died by stoning. Some were sawed in half. Others were killed with the sword. Some went about wearing skins of sheep and goats, destitute and oppressed and mistreated. Some pretty horrible things happened to some of these people, wasn't there? I mean, can you imagine? Can you imagine that happening? We have the wonderful privilege of living in countries where those things don't happen. Here in in Canada and in the United States. But think of these horrible, awful things that happened. I mean, you know, we, we almost can't even believe it. Some were sawn in half. Who were these people, anyway? You know who they were? They were people that God loved. They're people that God loved. Wait a second. He loved them and they were sawn in half? They were whipped? They were jeered at? They wandered around destitute and oppressed and God loved them? Does that even compute? What an awful life! These were God's people. And I think it's incredibly important for us to realize that the life of faith is not always a life of triumph and victory. It's not always a life where we are lauded in parades and held up as paragons and heroes. Sometimes the life of faith is very difficult. We have the wonderful privilege of where God has called us right now in South Paris to be working with a lot of folks that God is drawing to Himself. It's really a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun to see God at work changing people's lives. Bringing them to an understanding of what it means to trust Christ with their life after they've lived lives of doing everything for themselves and in their own strength and their own power. And what happens, unfortunately, some of you may have experienced this in your own life already before coming to Christ is that when we live our lives in our own strength and by our own rules, sometimes we really make huge messes of our lives. And God seems to have brought a lot of those people to us, hasn't He, Melody? A lot of folks that we've been helping and working with and spending time with who just have had disastrous lives. But they've come to Christ. They've trusted Him. He's changing their lives, but it doesn't always go smoothly. It's not always victorious every moment of every day. I just did a funeral on Wednesday for a guy who had turned 43 last Sunday. He was out cutting down a tree on his dad's property where he was living because his wife had left him with their eight-year-old daughter and ran off with someone else and had an affair and had a child and had nowhere to go and moved in with his parents and we had a connection with him and started spending some time with him and one of our guys was able to lead him to Christ. His name was Tim. He was turned 43 last Sunday and was helping his dad cut down a tree and the rope that they were using to secure it snapped and block and tackle that they were using catapulted through the air and struck him in the side of the head and killed him instantly. Tim loved God and God was changing him he had a rough life didn't have a job his wife had left him his parents thought he was out of his mind because he went to church every week and Bible studies and read his Bible all the time spent some time with the family last week and was able to share Christ on Wednesday morning with about 65 people and I think besides the two other guys that were there with me from our church I think we might have been the only ones there who knew God It was a hard life. But it was a life of faith. I could tell you about Josh. Josh came to Christ when he was a little boy, but as he got older, he decided he wanted to do things his own way. When it was time to get married, he fell in love with a girl who professed to be saved, and they came to us. There were two of us in South Paris. Came to our other pastor Tim and asked him to marry them and Tim sat down and spent a lot of time with them and walking through what it meant to be married and honor God with their marriage and they agreed in every way apparently except for their hearts and they got married and had three children and then decided that they didn't love each other anymore and both went and had affairs with other people and split up. Josh kind of got to the bottom of the barrel and he came back. And said, I can't do this anymore. I need God. I need to live a real life of faith. And Josh is climbing back. He's in in God's Word. He's sharing Christ at his work. And there's nobody at the place Josh works that knows God, that's for sure. But he's doing it anyway. He's trying to raise his kids, what time he has with them, in a way that honors God. But you know what? Josh's life is not easy. But he's a person that God loves. Look at verse 38. They were too good for this world. Wandering over deserts and mountains, hiding in caves and holes in the ground. They were too good for this world. These folks and all the things that they endured because of their life of faith, they were not recognized as great or valuable and weren't worthy of any admiration of any kind, at least as far as the world was concerned. If you know a little bit of the story of John the Baptist, you know that when Christ was walking this earth, God had called John the Baptist to prepare people for Christ's arrival. And so John spent his whole life... Traveling around wherever people would listen and saying the Messiah is coming. The one who's going to take away the sins of the world. This Jesus, he's the one. You remember how John was received? Remember how everybody felt about John? Most people thought that John was a little, uh, you know, crazy. John... You mean the guy that eats bugs and honey and wears camel skin, (laughs) that guy? You know what Jesus said about John? Do you remember, if you read the passage, when Jesus refers to John, do you know what he says about him? See that guy right there? Greatest man who was ever born of a woman. John didn't have an easy life, maybe you know the story, a little bit later he was beheaded. We had a sweet old couple in our church that we were at in Sherman before we went to South Paris, names were Gordon and Althea. I swear they were in their late 90s when we moved to Sherman, but we found out later they were only in their 60s. (laughs) They had an incredibly difficult life. Physically, financially, emotionally, mentally, spiritually. I never met a couple who more wonderfully, graciously, generously gave everything that they had in every way To serve God. They did not have an easy life. But it was a wonderful life of faith. I have to tell you that earthly comfort is not our birthright as Christ followers. Look at verse 39. All these people earned a good reputation because of their faith. Yet none of them received all that God had promised. They're living this life of faith. They're enduring all of these things. God commends them from their faith. But they never received what God had promised in this life. All of their lives, they never got that fulfillment of what God had promised them. Now, when things happen in our lives that are very difficult... What is our common response? What is our first reaction? Our reaction is, when is God going to do something? When is this going to break? How much longer can I take it? But I'm seeing when we read this passage that uh, that's God's prerogative. Look at verse 40. For God had something better in mind for us so that they would not reach perfection without us. Now look at us. Look at your life. We have so much more in terms of God's working in us. We have the Scripture. We have the ability to look back at Christ's life and death and resurrection. We have the Holy Spirit who indwells us, who empowers us. The writer here says that God had something so much better in mind, the resurrection one day together. The question is, where is our faith? Remember what we read in verse 1? Faith is the confidence that what we hope for will happen, specifically the things that we cannot see. We tend as human beings to insist on seeing. We want to see. God, what do we pray? What do we pray all the time? Have you ever prayed this? Nod your head if you've ever prayed this. God, what do you want me to do? What's next? Show me what's next. That's what we want, right? Show me, God, I want to see. But faith is the confidence that what we hope for will happen, specifically the things that we cannot see. That's what a life of faith is, trusting God when we cannot see. Because insisting on seeing is not always the best for us. Not always what God has in mind for us. And I want you to understand this morning that your calling on this earth, my calling on this earth, is not to a life of faith, or is to a life of faith rather, not a life of ease. I want to challenge you this morning. I know this is very difficult because I live in this world too, just like you do. I want to challenge you to shake off what our culture tells us that we deserve. because if you have learned anything at all in your incredibly short lives most of you if you're an observer of our culture at all you know that we live in an age of entitlement this is what you deserve you're young you're right at the 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 cusp of life and all that's going to happen and everything is in front of you. And this is what you should have. And I want to challenge you that being a Christ follower, that living a life of faith is counterculture. You've got to be willing to shake that off. You've got to be willing to not fall prey to that and say, this is what I deserve. And I want to serve God, but I need this stuff too. You've got to put that aside. And realize that a life of faith means hoping for things that are not seen. How do we do that? Well, we do that by asking God for His perspective. Remember that His perspective is always eternal. And you have to settle in your mind once and for all. That no matter what happens in your life, from this point forward, Mr. Wagstaff said last night after I get done speaking, he came up to close us. He said, maybe this is a time when you can drive a stake in the ground. I love when you said that. I say that all the time for our folks. You know, sometimes maybe you need to just drive a stake in the ground right here. Maybe it needs to change right now. Maybe this is the point. where you settle in your mind once and for all that regardless of what happens in your life, whether it's like the first guy who had everything that this life seems to offer or the second guy who seemed like he had nothing that this world has to offer, settle in your mind that God loves you and that never, ever changes. He proved that at Calvary when he sent Christ to die for you. There is no question, let there be no question about how God cares for you, but understand this, that a life lived for God by faith is not always easy. God is in the process of shaping your character. All of us, those of you who are young and those of us who are not as young as we used to be, He is in the process of shaping our character. How are you going to respond to that? And ask yourself, what is it that I am hoping for? God wants nothing more than for us to offer ourselves to Him, to bow before Him and say, Father, here I am. This is it. I trust you. I want to live a life of faith no matter what happens.